Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? Yeah. So we won Oklahoma, and it was state, and it was state. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, uh, late night last night with the Cowboys kicking off at eight o'clock. Uh, it was it was an interesting finish, but Oklahoma State beats Texas A and M in the Tax Act Bowl. It was a uh, a fun night for those who follow Oklahoma State football. Yeah, it was. It was kind of a a wild game that. Um, I mean, from the, the opening jump, right? You kick it off out of bounds and then just a brutal injury right off the bat. So many things changing. You had the, the bad Bowman interception and then the bad A&M fumble. Nick Martin falls on it at the one-yard line. It was just um, some of the catches the Oklahoma State receivers made last night. It was just – it was really kind of a fun watch. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was a fun way to end the season. It sure was. Um, we're going to get to all of it. And I, I just – let's just start with how the game started. I mean um, – Colby, this game was drunk from the moment the opening kickoff occurred. I mean, the opening kickoff goes out of bounds from Oklahoma State perspective about as bad of a play you can have on your first play. And then it, it was probably even a worse play for AM, as bad as a first play they could have. It goes for a first down, but their third-string quarterback breaks his arm on their first play for Texas A&M. So if you're Texas A&M, not only are you playing with you know, your third-string quarterback, you're now down to your True freshman, fourth string quarterback after the first play of the game. It was just a bizarre way for a bowl game to start on on both ends. Yeah, very bizarre. The the injury right off the bat. I mean, you feel so bad for Jaden Henderson. He's trying to get his shot right to be the guy. And the first play, and it was, I mean, it was a pretty innocent play. Right, he rolls out. He kind of leaps a little bit when he makes the throw. He gets upended. And he just braces himself. And obviously you don't want your wrist stuck up under you like that, but it's just kind of instinct, right? You just throw your hands back. And um, yeah, that was a really bad injury. It, it looked to me when they showed the replay, like the arm broke just above the wrist, like a couple inches above the wrist is what it looked like to me, um, which was pretty, pretty ugly and nasty to watch. And then the, the true freshman comes in and he was a, a good player electric. And I don't know if he's the guy for the future down there, but it was interesting to see um, some of the things that A&M was trying to do with what was somewhat of a skeleton crew for A&M last night. I, I still think if you went and looked at the average recruiting ranking of just the guys who played last night for A&M, it would probably swamp the average recruiting ranking of just the guys who played for Oklahoma State last night. But um, all in all, it was it was a fun game. I thought Oklahoma State was clearly the better team. Just, you know, the story of the season, big plays got away from them on defense. Bowman throws a bad pick, and you, you let a team stick around and stay in the game. It's kind of like you said on Tuesday. I don't think they're going to blow them out because Oklahoma State just can't seem to quite blow anybody out but they'll clearly be the better team. And that's the way it played out. Yep, sure did. And I thought it was a really, you know, again, I think all the caveats here with A&M missing all their players with, you know, not their head coach, all, all the caveats there. I did think it was a, a really good performance in the first half from Oklahoma State. I thought it was a pretty dominant performance as well. I mean, Ollie Gordon got going in there, the, scores a touchdown at the end of the first half. But I thought – Oklahoma State really came out with a, a solid game plan and really throughout the whole game. I think we have to start with the receivers from Oklahoma State. Rashad Owens and Brennan Presley were just immense. And I think it's really been a summation. That's this 
first half performance, I know that the opponent's different being A&M against, you know, a team like Texas playing in the college football, you know, playoff. I, I don't mean to compare the two teams. I just thought the, the overall look of Oklahoma State's offense should have been more of what we saw against, against Texas. I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, they, they loaded the box to stop Ollie Gordon. And what you do is you take deep shots down the field with Rashad Owens and you throw it, you know, to the flats, to Brennan Presley. And I, I don't think there's a lot of answers for that. A&M certainly didn't have them. I know they're missing a ton of players on defense, but I think moving forward next year, should those two receivers uh, return, I think Rashad Owens will, but Brennan Presley says he's still up in the air. It, this is the offense, Colby, that that I really wanted to see more of against Texas, and for whatever reason that didn't happen. But you get Ollie Gordon in the box and you have to load it for him, it, it really opens things up for the, for the offense in the passing game. Yeah, I think that there should be two pretty simple plans for Oklahoma State offensively next year, assuming the personnel uh, looks similar, if not identical, to what it did this year. Maybe you sub in Dejon Stribling for Leon Johnson, who we know is out of eligibility. We don't know that Stribling's coming back, but I saw him on the sideline last night. I would assume that he'll be back next year after his injury that took his season away and really cleared the way for Rashad Owens to just emerge into a superstar receiver for Oklahoma State, and I feel comfortable and confident saying that after the game he put together last night and some of the catches he's made throughout the season I think there's two simple game plans depending on what the defense gives you if they want to do what Texas A&M did last night if they want to pack everybody in between the tackles and they want to have seven eight guys in the box and they they don't want to have a high safety and they just want to load everybody up to stop Ollie okay then you've got two counters to that number one the, the quick little out pass to uh Brandon Presley in the flat and then that's just an extension of your running game they don't have enough guys out there to defend it. And Brennan is great at making little shifty moves on the outside to get up the field and pick up first downs. And then the other one, throw it up the sideline. Throw these rainbows up to Rashad Owens, Deshaun Stribling, whoever is out there. Our receivers, I mean, Rashad Owens particularly, just better than the DBs that are going against him. The emergence of Rashad Owens has been unbelievable to watch. He looks every bit like an NFL receiver in size, in skill, uh, the way he high points the football, just his hands. Um, uh, and I mean, I, some of them aren't even the, the high points. Like last night, the catch that he had on the first drive of the game that set up uh, the 19 or 20 yard field goal where he's like falling out of bounds and the ball just sticks to his to his gloves like there's glue on them um like the old little giants uh movie it, it just yeah those are your your two game plans if, if they want to spread out and take that away you just run ollie 34 times and if they want to take ollie away you just kick it out sideways to brendan and you send it to rashad owens up the sideline that's i, I mean if you can do both then the defense is going to have to pick which one they want to stop and it's just not that simple when oklahoma state can ex execute the way they did last night no and i Let's just talk about Rashad Owens. You, you mentioned those those first two catches he had. The degree of difficulty are off the charts. Like you wouldn't have faulted him on either one if he wasn't able to come up with it. Because you know the the one obviously was just great hands that you mentioned. And the other one he had to really adjust in the air. I mean he had ten catches, one hundred sixty four yards, two touchdowns. And I don't say this lightly. I don't. I I fully understand the breadth of which of, of this statement. That was a Justin Blackman-esque performance. Does it look the same? Does he have the overwhelming athleticism and power of the run after the catch? No. But the way he was able to high point football seemingly all night, I mean, was very Justin Blackman-esque. I mean, it was, you know, he did the two small on one of his touchdown catches. I mean, he, it was man amongst boys out there. And his emergence this year 
is one of the best stories I can remember in Oklahoma State football since I've been following it. I mean, we, we know his story, the position switches. He was, you know, buried on the depth chart. His emergence, just his personal story, combined with the fact of how needed it was at the receiver position with Stribling going out, with all of the injuries they've had throughout the year at the receiver position, not only was it a great story, it was absolutely imperative for this football team to win 10 games was Rashad Owens' emergence. I think you can really boil it down to that. I mean, Ollie Gordon had an amazing year, Heisman-worthy consideration, the Doak Walker Award. He certainly get, deserves a lot of the credit. But I don't think the team would have won 10 games without Rashad Owens doing what he did. He he was that important, and his emergence was really capped off in the bowl game, similarly to what we saw like Justin Blackman doing to Stanford in the Fiesta Bowl. It was a truly dominant performance from Rashad Owens. And I just, I can't say enough about his story and just how needed he was this year. He was a cowboy back last season. He was a cowboy back. Crazy. They, they move him back out to his natural position at receiver. And he just emerges into the guy that we saw last night, the, the catches going toward the sideline, the high pointing of the football. Um, he, He's just, he's bigger and stronger than the, the guys that are covering him, these these four or five star recruits, you're young guys, but they're good players and, and they're just not big enough. They are too small, just like he was saying. His, his second touchdown, the rhythm and the timing that he developed on these go routes up the sideline with Alan Bowman, like that second touchdown, that's an all-out blitz from Texas A&M. Zero blitz, and there was an unblocked rusher. By the way, for people who, who still have not bought in on Alan Bowman because of the interceptions, uh, a, a younger quarterback, a lesser quarterback, just rolls into a sack at that point. Bowman takes the snap, balls out of his hands in less than a second, and he just floats it. He's throwing to a spot. He's throwing to a spot because he knows Rashad Owens is going to be there, and that pass drops right into his hands in the end zone, and he just puts a couple of feet down, and that's another touchdown. It, it's just Bowman and Owens figured it out together. Some of the statistical performances that he put together this season um, were, were pretty pretty stunning. And then some of the things that didn't show up in the stat sheet, which were just the contested catches, um, some of the catches he made in Bedlam. How about the first drive on Bedlam when Bowman overthrows him by two feet and he reaches up, bats it out of the air, and then catches it? Like, he, he just knows how to go up in the air and get the ball when it's eight feet off the ground and man, that's a hard thing to defend. So him coming back and the idea of Bowman getting that waiver cleared, who has developed this chemistry with Rashad Owens. Um, yeah, man, he's he's special. And he's a guy that I, I think we probably all thought was just going to be a role player and a backup for the majority of his career at Oklahoma State. And he has emerged into a bona fide star at receiver. And he is a, a true wide receiver one, I think, going into next season. Yeah, the the emergence from the Bedlam game on, just those catches you reference, like it's some of the surest hands we've seen from a receiver at Oklahoma State in quite some time. And then he'll I drop mean, an easy one. And then he'll drop an easy one like last night when it looked like he was winded and he's got one hit him in the chest and he he could have had 11 or 12 catches last night. Well, that's true. I guess I guess I shouldn't go too far on that. Maybe maybe just surest hands when it's con in a contested situation. He also had one that he caught and then as he was rolling down on the ground, remember that one near the goal line just kind of popped out. I couldn't tell if the guy knocked it loose or if it was just the impact of the ground either. 
Uh, that one? I, yeah, I think somebody got an arm in there. Um, I, I would say one of the best contested catch receivers because his drops, they only come on the easy ones. When he runs a curl and the corner's seven <laughs> yards off of it and Bowman hits him right between the numbers, it's the only time he drops one. But contested catches, uh, he's right up there with with just about any of the guys that we've seen come through Oklahoma State in a long time. Well, and I, I think this is where you have to give Casey Dunn a ton of credit. I mean, with the, all the turnover with injuries at the receiver position, he got Rashad Owens to have the season he had. Uh, that That's coaching, especially when he's switching back and forth from, from cowboy back, back to receiver. He gets Leon Johnson off, you know, shakes the dust off him out of George Fox, wasn't even planning on playing this year. He had a massive, massive catch in this game. Uh, Casey Dunn leaves a lot to be desired for me when play calling, but this is not a coincidence. This is not a fluke that backups are are really emerging and becoming key contributors throughout the course of this season. I think you have to give Casey Dunn a ton of credit for that because Colby, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm really frustrated with some of his play calling. I mean, I thought speaking of Rashad Owens and Leon Johnson, since we're talking about them, I thought the offense kind of devolved into just, you know, go route jump ball situations, which, it worked. Those are just, I give the receivers far more credit there. It's just that, that those are just low percentage plays in a lot of ways uh, for most receivers. And it just seems like they, they rely on it a little bit too much. It worked yesterday against, you know, some, you know, lackluster corners that are all backups for AM. But uh, I will give Casey Dunn a ton of credit for his coaching acumen and getting those guys ready to play and, and having the skills to play. Uh, that's that's on him, but I, I also am a little frustrated with just how much the the lack of creativity and just saying, you know what, we're just going to throw up some 50-50 balls. Like that's not sustainable over the course of an entire season. No, you're probably right uh, about that. And and there were some some calls that I thought were great. Right, the the fourth and two where you you hit Brennan on the slant. I thought that was a great call when they were overloaded for Ollie. And I thought a lot of the quick passes to Brennan were great calls at the time for what Texas A&M was doing defensively. Yes, throwing, um, I mean, how many did they throw? 15 just jump balls up the sideline a game. That's going to be tough to sustain. I, I do feel like at times we have seen Casey Dunn get really creative. Um, I still don't think he's using nearly enough motion. Like, they use it some. Um, another great play call, by the way, just popped into my head. How about the jet flip counter to Brennan where he lines up wide left, comes in motion, Bowman flips it to him. He immediately puts his foot in the ground just behind the right guard and goes back inside left tackle for eight, nine yards on, I think it was like a second and seven. That was a great play call. So there's some creativity mixed in, and then it gets really bland for a while. So I I just, as he evolves as a play caller, I just want to continue to see more motion, more movement, more things pre-snap to get the defense thinking. Um, And the more quadrants of the field that you can use the tougher it is to defend an offense right with what you can do with ollie and you can swing it out sideways quickly to brennan you've got those deep routes up the sideline right but what if now you start to incorporate that mesh route with guys running underneath uh you're able to get some guys up the seam a little more often where now a defense is having to defend truly sideline to sideline an elite running back the deep ball and the middle of the field like if they can just incorporate one or two more little things, um, then I think that this offense could really have a high ceiling next year. No, I agree. I, I loved some of those calls. You mentioned the the counter with, with Presley was pretty cool. Uh, they ran some really good counter stuff with Ollie. I, I think that needs to be the staple moving forward. And I, I thought Shihan Jiraiya, 
Sheehan from CBS Sports uh, covers college football. He had, he had a really good point today on Twitter about he, he was mentioning all the all the big time running backs. Uh, I think Neil from Kansas announced he's coming back today. So we got him. You got Boyd from Texas Tech, Gordon, and a few others coming back. Where you know some of the best running backs in the entire country play in the Big Twelve, and of course that was met with you know an anti Big Twelve tweet. And he just said, "Look, like the Big Twelve has been ahead of the game for a long time. You just go back to he didn't mention this. I was just thinking of it." The spread offense innovation all the way back, you know, 08, 07. Gundy was a part of that. But he he mentioned that, you know, some some counter power run game is the the ultimate, you know, kind of chess piece move to what everyone's doing now with the two high safety looks. I mean, everyone's playing two high safeties these days, sometimes three in certain schemes. And again, I I'm gonna give my Gundy a ton of credit here. Again, I, I think that, you know, Gordon's emergence certainly helped with this shift in mentality from Mike. But as Shahan pointed out, this is a great counter for those two high, three high safety looks that teams are just running all over the country now. I think you're going to start seeing way more power type counter run games and outside zone was, I think what Shahan Moore highlighted, you know, some the the running games have are starting to evolve and counter what the defenses have been countering for these wide open spread passing attacks. I thought that was a really good point. And I think that's what you're mentioning should be a staple of OSU going into 2024. Yeah, I think so too. And Oklahoma state had some success with that last night, even against the loaded box that A&M was putting in there, because I mean, at some point when you've got a guy, the caliber of Ollie Gordon, even if the defense is loading up to stop him, you've got to give him the ball. Right. And he made some good moves. Uh, I think it was his first or second carry of the game went for 18, 20 yards where he's just really shifty. And I don't know about you, but down the stretch of the season, really those last three, four games, I thought we saw a, a worn down Ollie Gordon that, you know, this was the first season where he's really been the bell cow and taken that many hits and had that many miles on his body. And I thought we saw a much fresher Ollie Gordon last night, which was fun to watch. Um, did, did you feel like he had a little bit different burst than what we saw in November? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, he didn't break one of his patented, you know, 70 yarders or anything, but there was a run. I'm not sure which part stage of the game it was. It was one of those ones where he finally got free into the open field. And it looked like, you know, November Ollie it looked like you know late September Ollie where he he started to pull away until the DBs caught up to him pushed him out of bounds I thought I I totally agree that game you and I watched um uh was it Iowa State that you and I watched together no the Iowa State was in September we we played in a, it was Houston oh yeah sorry I was thinking the, the it was night and it was that long long shade grass that I was, it was giving me you know PTSD from from Jack Trice Stadium in Ames but it was the Houston game where you and I watched it, and we could just kind of tell he he was not hitting his fifth gear. I, I thought he hit his fifth gear against A and M. But can we can we talk about this real quick, Colby? Let's talk about Ollie. Love the guy. He's coming back. Oh, all this hype train with the Heisman, so well deserved. We don't have to go over all the plaudits for Ollie. He's got to get his head screwed on straight, man. He, yep. He's got to he's got to tone down his attitude. It, it's. It's starting to cost his team. That penalty he got was inexcusable. Every time he gets tackled, he's got something to say. It's just, you're one of the best players in the country. You're going to have a huge bull. You already have a huge bullseye on your back. And I know he takes some, I, I do think the refs let the defensive guys get away with a lot after the play as far as pushing them to get up. And they were not blowing the whistle, in my opinion, quick enough when forward progress was stopped. And Ollie took a big shot early in the game. He's got to he's got to cut this out. I mean, the flopping has got to stop. 
he's too good of a player to get so wrapped up play to play on on silly stuff like that because this this plays right into the hands of the other team. I mean, he's gonna get he's gonna get unsportsmanlike at some point, Colby. It, love Ollie Gordon, but if you want to be a Heisman contender next year, you need to focus on what's important, and that is helping your team win. Not focus on the trash talk, not focus on flopping, not focus on shoving a dude in the helmet after the when the ref's standing right there. It's a bad look, Colby, and I, I, I'm kind of tired of it. So it, it's funny. I feel like we're merging into one OSU football brain because I was uh, about to cut you off on the last subject to talk about Ollie's antics, and my mic was muted, and then you went right into the same conversation. Um, <laughs> it, it's, first of all, the flopping. He, he flopped one time, like at midfield, I think, against OU. Um, I, I remember one in November where he UCF. just like, – He did yeah, a UCF. Yeah. He just threw himself on the ground. Last night, he just threw himself on the ground on the sideline. Ollie, you know we love you, bud. Go watch the replays of yourself doing these flops. You look like a clown. What What are you doing? Falling on the ground so – I mean, this is like – um, t- take the worst flops of Marcus Smart's career in the NBA. He's been a guy that's been known to throw himself from the free throw line back into the first row. Um, some of the stuff James Harden does. Some of the stuff people make fun of soccer players for doing. Like, these are – Premier League, Champions League, uh, World <laughs> Cup level flops that Ollie Gordon is doing. Like, stop doing that. You, and and under none of those circumstances did he get the call. Like, you're not doing it and being rewarded for it. You just look goofy with these mega flops. And, and then he's going to have to realize, and I think that I, I hope that we'll see a more mature Ollie Gordon next season in the sense of, his coaches are going to have to talk to him or he's going to have to come to the realization that he's the guy now. He's the guy that every player on the other team wants to hit. He's the guy that every player on the other team wants to look at after they've tackled him and say, that's right, where's your dope walker now? You going to New York City still? Like, he's the guy that everybody wants their shot at because I can't remember who it was. I believe it was OSU Zach on Twitter, and if I attributed that wrong, I apologize. It was off the top of my head. Who said, when you have a star on a team full of stars, Alabama, Georgia, these other places – they're not singled out like that. They're not targeted like that because they're, they're just focused on stopping everybody. But when you have a superstar on a team like Oklahoma State, every defensive player wants a piece. They want their piece. And every defender for Texas A&M last night was coming to get their piece of Ollie Gordon, and he was letting them have it. And he was giving them the exact reaction that they were seeking. Man, go run somebody over, and whenever they stand over you and taunt for just a second – just get up and go back to the huddle and run them over again. That is how you talk your trash. You do it with your play. I hope and I think that we will see some more of that next season. Stop with the mega flops. Stop taking every hit and every piece of trash talk so personally. Um, it, it just looks like an exhausting way to play a game. At one time, at one point, Cole Birmingham was like, um, you know, shuffling him to the sideline after a play. And Ollie was like, I, I got things to say. It's like, man, just take a breath. Bring it down a notch. Not everything's a 10, right? On a scale of 1 to 10, not every hit, not every bit of trash talk from the opponent. It's not all a 10, and it doesn't need to be treated as such. So I hope he realizes that and kind of makes that correction coming into next season. Yeah, I mean, he's just too good of a player to get wrapped up in that. And if I'm an opposing coach, I'm showing all the – I'm doing a a montage cut-up highlight tape of Ollie getting frustrated and getting in people's faces and getting penalties like – the book's kind of out on him. You can kind of get get him, you know, 
a little out over skis, a little playing a little hot headed. And I mean, look, he had another great game that the play I was talking about was there was nine minutes and 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter. They were, Oh, she runs this great GH counter play and he kind of gets out in the open space and then makes a few guys miss. That was, and that's again, that's fourth quarter, which we've seen from Ollie getting stronger as the game goes on. But yeah, I mean, I think we've said enough. I mean, Ollie's just too good of a player to get, to get wrapped up in that stuff. So hopefully next year he, I mean, there's going to be so much talk about him that, you know, every it's going to it's going to go up a level too with the opposing defenses trying to get in his head. So I hope he knows that, and I hope he keeps his cool a little better because that that is it's just not a good look. So, but he he played well. He had over 100 yards. Didn't quite get the the 150 over under you and I had. Didn't have um, only had four yards receiving. So he ends up with 122 uh, total total yards, but. 27 carries, 118 yards, touchdown. Uh, another great performance from him. And I just – I can't wait to see what this team looks like, Colby. And I think that leads us to the Allen Bowman discussion. I mean, 400 yards, uh, 402 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Uh, he made some really – I thought really elite throws. The the throw to Brennan Cassidy at the end of the first half that got Ollie Gordon down to the one, he throws it over a linebacker, an outstretched linebacker and drops it in perfectly to Cassidy. I thought he made some really great throws. And this is kind of the Allen Bowman experience, some really great throws. Then he hits, he overthrows the receiver and hits the A&M safety right between the numbers. So it's just kind of the, we kind of got the full Allen Bowman experience right down to, you know, an unbelievable scramble, which when he got to Oklahoma State, Cole, we had no idea that he would have had two really strong rushing touchdowns this year. And then that unbelievable play on a third down to get a first down with his leg. So we, we kind of got the all-encompassing, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the elite with Alan Bowman. Uh, yeah, no doubt about it. I, I thought the throw to Braden Cassidy there at the end of the first half was, uh, I mean, just chef's kiss, elite throw. My wife was reading. She had her Kindle out, and I made her look up to watch the replay. I'm like, you got to watch this throw. It was <laughs> so good. It set up a touchdown at the end of the first half to give you uh, the bigger lead and really put a punctuation on what was a dominating first half. You re you wanted to go into halftime with a three-score lead, a uh, three-possession lead, and that throw allowed you to do that. Some of the throws up the sideline, the one, not the insane catch from Leon Johnson, because Leon Johnson had an insane catch up the left sideline. But there was another one that was still a great catch. But Bowman just dropped back, throws this thing, I mean, probably had a 40-foot apex on it, and just lands in uh, in Leon Johnson's chest. Like, these, these throws to, to uh, Rashad Owens on the outside, the fourth down throw to Brennan Presley. He was, I thought, really impressive last night. The third down run, like you mentioned, of the two interceptions, I thought one of them was really bad, and one of them was just a football play. Like the first one, um, it was a third down, so he's trying to force the ball up the field. I just thought the, the defensive back made a good play, and all night they showed him no, no high safety, a lot of man coverage, and then on that first interception, well, really on both interceptions, but I'm speaking specifically about the first one, they had a zone in, in place that looked like the cloud corner on the outside. Again, you'd have to watch the film, but uh, the replay on the broadcast looked like the cloud corner faked him into thinking he was going to covered the guy in the flat and then dropped back at the last second underneath the receiver and made a good play on the football. The second interception, uh, I'm an Allen Bowman guy. I got nothing for you. I got nothing. Um, can't tell you exactly what my ginger brethren saw on that one as even if he, even if the throw was perfect, like Owens was covered. That was the best coverage of the night from Texas A&M, and he tries to force it into a window that just wasn't there, hits a safety right between the numbers. So um, I thought... Most of the night, 
Alan Bowman was spectacular. And then I thought he had the one really bad error on that throw across the middle. Um, but all in all, I think it was a great season for Alan Bowman. I hope it comes. I hope he comes back. I think that there are still some people who, um, for whatever reason, are, are ready to move on to a young guy. And and I get the um, the ceiling of the unknown, right? What if there's a Heisman winner sitting on the bench? I just think Bowman, again, the second touchdown throw to Owens, that was a zero blitz from A&M with a guy right in his face, and he knew as soon as this ball touches my hands, it has to come out. Um, the way he was able to to kind of move around in the pocket, evade some pressure, do some things, the, the way he gets the ball out in front of Brennan on all these little quick throws out in the flat, I just think um, he's a great leader. The team likes him. He... Uh, this was the first time he played football in three, four years. I, I mean, I think that there's still room for improvement for Alan Bowman. This isn't Bo Nix, who made 60 starts in his career. Just because Bowman's old doesn't mean he's played a ton of football. I mean, what's he at now? Probably 20 starts in his career, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, so, yeah, I still think that there's room for improvement there. And I thought, aside from the throw to the safety, he was great last night. Yeah, I think people are forgetting where this offense came from before Bowman became the guy. I think... There's a tendency to you know pick apart the interceptions. You look at his touchdown to interception ratio over the course of the year, and there there are some naysayers out there. Um, but let's let's rewind to where they were, Oklahoma State before Alan Bowman became the unquestioned starter, and they weren't doing the quarter three quarterback system. They lose to South Alabama. They had 208 total yards. They had just north of 300 total yards against Arizona State the week before. They had 570 against Texas A&M. Like, which which way you want to go, Bowman haters? You would you rather have what we saw last night, or playing one of these younger guys can lead to struggles? I'm not necessarily saying they're going to end up with 200 yards every game with a different quarterback, but the offense just operated at such a higher level. Now, of course, you can say, well, Ollie Gordon wasn't playing much in those two games and that's certainly true but do you really think ollie gordon was going to be able to run for 100 yards with the quarterback system they were running i certainly don't no matter how great he is we've seen him struggle at times when the they're, they're not able to keep teams you know balanced um it's really that simple for me colby like osu was desperate for competent quarterback play and I think Bowman has surpassed that at times this year. And I thought he really surpassed it against Texas A&M. So I, I'm like you. I, I would love to see the waiver happen because you get Alan Bowman back with this receiving core. We need to talk about Brandon Presley here in a minute. But you get the offensive lines coming back. You get Bowman in there. Like, that's a known quantity. You know you can win the Big 12 next year with Alan Bowman at quarterback. You absolutely do not know what you can win with – whomever would take over for him should he not get the waiver. It's really as simple as that for me. Yeah, it, it's just too big of an unknown. And and Bowman, um, I think, is too good of a player to to risk that unknown if you have the option, right? Because um, Zane Flores, the, the kid coming in from California, Rangel, even if, if they think that he's the guy um, – you can put that on the back burner for another season. If one of the guys, when if one of those guys hops in the portal, that's just part of it. I, I think the backup quarterback is often the most popular guy on campus for a reason. And when I look at Alan Bowman, um, I look at Oklahoma State's receivers and the numbers that these guys have put up and how just stunning Rashad Owens and Leon Johnson and, and Brennan over the last four or five games, Brennan's like close to 50 catches, 600 yards, four or five touchdowns. Like, 
these are numbers that receivers only put up if they've got a guy who's absolutely slinging it and giving them a chance to make plays. Like Rashad Owens and Brennan Presley, I mean, do you see those two guys just glowing in their in their postgame interviews last night on ESPN? Like, those guys like their quarterback, and their quarterback puts them in position to make plays. He, he was really good on that quick slant to Brennan multiple times throughout the season on fourth down. He's really good at getting the ball out on the edge to Rashad Owens on some of these long out throws. Um, he's, he's gotten so good at that ball up the sideline at the fade in the red zone that's clearly a big part of Oklahoma State's offense and will be again next year with Rashad Owens uh, out there and potentially Dijon Stribling. Like we mentioned, he, I think, has gotten more confident throwing the deep ball as the season has gone along. And again, I still think that there's room for improvement on cutting down on some of those interceptions. Uh, I think just simply taking the raw interception numbers loses some of the context on these things. Like the, the pick six that he threw against BYU – I mean, it's pretty clear if you watch that play again. Jaden Bray is supposed to run a, a quick slant there. He runs the wrong route and runs a go. And Bowman puts it right in the chest of the DB because he thought his receiver was going to be there. Like, there, there's context that have to be added to these things. He's not a perfect quarterback. He's not Tom Brady. He's not going to win the Heisman next year. But he's a good college quarterback, man. And I, I would like to see in another year with this offense, it was his first year coming in as his transfer. There was a lot of uncertainty. He wasn't named the starter. He had to go through a three-quarterback rotation in the non-con. It, it took uh, a few weeks for him to get chemistry with his receivers. Let's give them all an offseason to know exactly what their role is, exactly what their identity is, and, and I think he could be really good next year. So if you're calling for one of those other guys, I, I just think you're doing a little bit of the grass is greener stuff, um, and I've been guilty of that at, at times, especially with the head coach at Oklahoma State, and I've repented for that sin uh, more than a couple of times. But I would love, love, love to see Alan Bowman back next season. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I know Mike – speculate it could be three days or it could be you know three weeks we'll just have to wait and see who, who knows when that decision will ultimately come down but um you know again a, a really kind of epic performance statistically you know molly gordon gets to 2,000 yards uh becoming the fifth cowboy to do that uh rashad owens had 10 catches 164 yards brennan presley a school record tying 16 catches for 152 yards and i, I did want to talk about brennan uh, Adam Lunt noted on Twitter that Presley has 49 receptions for 524 yards in the last four games. Uh, you know, when the games are the most important, Brennan Presley's been just that go-to receiver we we knew and hoped he would be, hoped and knew he would be really coming into this year. And he's really got a knack, Colby, for the bowl games. Uh, the Cheez it Bowl in Miami, six catches, 118 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame, 10 catches, 137 yards. That's kind of a forgotten performance, too, with how much uh, credit you know, Spencer Sanders got in that game. Uh, last year against Wisconsin, he had six catches for 74 yards, and then, of course, the 16 grabs for 152, and a pass for 34 yards. Uh, they didn't let Ollie Gordon throw a pass, but they let Brennan throw a pass. I mean, Colby, what else can you say about the kid? Uh, he's unsure about what he's going to do. If he comes back, I think that just further cements OSU's case as you know maybe the favorite in the Big 12, but certainly one of the top two or three teams. Uh, yeah, no doubt about it. Brennan's awesome. The irony of the throw to Rashad Owens is that Presley would have led the team in receiving yards, receptions, and receiving yards last night had that throw gone incomplete, but because he put it in a good spot for Rashad Owens to make the play. Also, have you ever seen a receiver or running back sell the throw for that long? Because when they ran the play, I thought to myself, oh, Brennan's going to throw it. And then after like 
three seconds of him running toward the sideline. I'm like, I guess not. And then he just, boom, up and fires. He said after the game he was waiting for the safety to come down, and as soon as he did, he let it rip. Uh, I thought the sell on that particular play by Brennan was as, as long as I've ever seen a position player sell the trick play. No, and I was like you. Like, my senses told me, okay, he's just kind of running parallel. He's not cutting up field, and he's looking downfield. Like he's going to pass. But then, like, I kind of said, well, maybe – Maybe he's just waiting for a block. I, I was totally confused until he launched it. No, that was that was really a heady play. And I think he's just really just that 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 play you mentioned, the trick play, just shows that what a smart football player he is. The fact he's he's keeping his eyes on the safety, waiting for him to commit before making that play. I think a lot of skilled players, when they get the opportunity to throw a pass, like like Ollie in Bedlam, uh, they're ready to just chunk it, even if it doesn't look quite right. So that that just shows you how smart of a football player he is. Yeah, and he's just been around for so long. He knows the system, and I think that um, the staff this year and this offense suits him so much better than the Spencer offense did. And, and he had some big games with Spencer. I went over some of his his big games with Spencer earlier this season, one of those being the bowl game against Miami. But uh, for whatever reason, I just feel like this – system where teams are going to have to load the box to stop Ollie. It gives him so many opportunities on the outside. Um, you can get creative with him. I, I really, that Jeff flip counter was just such a unique play. I don't know that I've seen that before. And Brennan does a great job of selling it hard. Like he's coming across the formation and he can put his foot in the ground and go the other way so quickly. And we've seen that at times, some of the, the, plays on the near sideline last night where like the, the angle of the camera, it looked as if he was out of bounds and then he would just kind of shimmy inside another Texas A&M defender and stay in bounds by four inches and get another six yards up the sideline. Like he's just so good at those things. Um, just hard to bring down and uh, an Oklahoma state culture guy um, that you can really use in a bunch of ways. He, he's had big moments throughout his career, the kickoff return against Oklahoma in 2021 Um He's just a great player, man. And and he said uh, last night after the game, he was asked if he's coming back. He said, I'm going to quote Ollie. I'm on my own time. Um, if he's quoting Ollie and saying that he's on his own time, I, I kind of feel like in my gut that it's going to have the same result and that we're going to see more Brendan Presley next year. And I really hope we do because he's big time for Oklahoma State. Also, I want to issue a correction. I don't know if we've actually said it on this podcast, but ESPN threw up the graphic multiple times last night that Rashad Owens set the Oklahoma State bowl game record with 164 receiving yards. Justin Blackman had 186 against Stanford. So uh, B-team was running the ship for ESPN last night. Yeah, I, I kind of knew that off the top. I was like, Blackman had more than 164. I mean, I was there. <laughs> so I, I meant to go look at the OSU post game notes. They didn't, I don't believe they would put that in there since they obviously know what's going on. Um, one more note on the offense before we go to defense, Colby. How about the stun gun package? That's what Marshall Scott referenced in his 10 thoughts. The uh, Gunner Gundy kind of QB keeper rollout with Ollie Gordon leading the way blocking. Did you see Ollie Gordon block the dude all the way out of the end zone? Uh, yes, it was like a scene from the blind side. He just kept going until <laughs> out of, until he was off the playing surface. It was like, all he's like, this is my turn to finally hit somebody. I'm tired of being the one getting beat up on. Uh, but no, what, uh, I don't think a player who's in the portal has ever, has ever scored a touchdown. I mean, I'm sure that's happened. I don't follow every team in the country, but that's kind of a unique scenario, kind of a, a send off for, for Gunner. But also I think Gundy made a good point. He's like, look, we just, we needed an extra blocker. And uh, they like that scheme and that design and Gunner's got the best legs and at the quarterback position. So really, you know, I, I was a little down on, on Casey Dunn, just 
just playing the the Hail Mary 5000 game, you know, going jackpot and throwing it down the field. Uh, but that was yet another creative play design that led to a anytime you get a walk in touchdown in the red zone, it's a it's a great play design. And that was certainly one of them. A hundred percent. And and it was cool. It, it really was cool to see Gunner come out there. You know that this is his last game at Oklahoma State. Coach's son, um, obviously a dream to play at Oklahoma State. The, Oklahoma State football has been Gunner Gundy's, I mean, it's been his entire life, has been Oklahoma State football. And in his last game, for him to come out and get one snap, and it's just an untouched house call, like, that's really cool. The Doak Walker Award winner out in front of him blocking. Like, that's a cool moment for him and his dad. Like, um, I just, e- even watching it live, I just, I, a big smile came over my face. I, I, I told my wife, I'm like, that was cool. That was cool. Um, so I'm glad that they gave him that opportunity. And I'm glad everyone executed it so well. You can see how happy all of his teammates were for him. Um, and that's pretty cool. We'll, we'll see where he winds up next year. I saw his offer sheet currently is Elon and Abilene Christian. So we'll see if any others come in. And if not, hopefully he takes up one of those schools and, and goes and is a, a star at a lower level. Cause I think that would be really fun for Gunner. Yep. That'd be, that'd be really great. Um, Oklahoma State's defense, I thought did a really good job at slowing down some drives from AM in the first half. They held him to just two field goals and AM, AM got a little loose Colby. They had three, ended up with 372 passing 445 yard, 445 yards total. Um, a lot of people frustrated after the game, and I, I can certainly understand that. You got a depleted AM team. They were without, I think it was, they were out without 14 starters in this game. Um, and obviously the coaching staff as well. And I certainly can understand the the enigma of facing a team with a new coaching staff, with a quarterback you haven't seen a lot of, but that quarterback and that quarterback gets hurt on the first play. All of a sudden you're dealing with someone you haven't scouted really a a true freshman who hasn't played barely at all. I certainly get the unknown. It just, for a team that's that depleted Colby, I thought it was a little bit disappointing of a defensive performance, too many guys just running wide open. And I I think the main reason for that, and this is something I think Brian Nardo needs to adjust to in 2024 when OSU's defense was at their best, they were getting after the quarterback. And I know Nardo's system at three, three, five, it's more designed to slow down quarterbacks not necessarily bring a bunch of heat like the Jim Knowles system, but they had one sack uh, or two sacks, I believe, on on the night. Just not a ton of pressure, and as you can see, even a true freshman, if he's given time to sit back there and wait for guys to come open, that's going to happen. And um, so that that was that was disappointing to me. But you look at the final tally; they only give up twenty three. You're going to win most games when you do that. So kind of a, a mixed bag for me. Yeah, the, the Xavier Benson punch out was huge. I thought it was one of the biggest plays of the game. Texas A&M has a chance right there to score a touchdown if they get the two-point conversion, which they obviously would have gone for down five. At that point, you're up 31 to 28. So uh, that was a huge play from Xavier, Xavier Benson. Nicholas Martin, obviously, right there. Johnny on the spot with the smoothest, just sliding recovery. Um you, you know, normally you see a pile up right there and guys are batting the ball around. Nicholas Martin just grabs it and slides into the end zone as if he's just cruising into second base. Um, so that was a great play and a huge play in that game. The, the big plays, man, that that's going to have to slow down next season. This defense um, is is good at not allowing teams to sustain drives and put a ton of just like dink and dunk them down the field. But my God, the 20 plus yard plays, it's it's 
excruciating to watch. And last night there was there was one point where uh, Texas A&M lined up in empty and Oklahoma State went with the zero blitz. They get a couple of yards on the edge and it's like second and seven. And then Texas A&M lines up in empty again. Oklahoma State zero blitzes again for the second sec- consecutive play. And Texas A&M just runs a little tunnel screen right behind it and nobody's back there. It's like a 35-yard play. Um, and, and then just guys losing track of players on the back end. It's just the big plays really are going to have to slow down next season for Oklahoma State. It was the Achilles heel of this defense in year one under Brian Nardo. Obviously, he knows that. He recognizes that. The players know that. They recognize that. So some adjustments are going to have to be made in the offseason, and some guys are just flat out going to have to play better on the back end. There's going to have to be better communication, everybody knowing where everyone else is, second year in the system. I think a lot of guys on that side of the ball are coming back. So I expect it to be better next year, and and it needs to be because – the, you know, five, six plays a game of 20-plus yards, that's going to get you beat too many times, and that could ruin a good season uh, if you let a team do that all day long. So needs to get better in that instance from Nardo. Um, but aside from the, I, I'd say, five to seven big plays that Texas A&M made last night, which, again, way too many. The defense was good in the red zone. Um, they got the one big turnover when they needed, and they did plenty to win the game. So not a great performance from the defense, uh, but a good enough performance from the defense. Yeah, certainly. And I think it. we mentioned Ollie Gordon, fifth running back to get 2,000 yards, kind of capping a remarkable year for him. Same with Nicholas Martin, uh, most tackles from an OSU defensive player since 1984 on the year. He finishes with 140 tackles, uh, just his emergence for me, Colby, right there with with Rashad Owens. I mean, it's it's you look back and you look at this team and you, you kind of just start discuss how they went ten games. I mean, you start with Ollie Gordon, uh, picking Alan Bowman at quarterback, uh, Rashad Owens, and then I think Nicholas Martin's right there in terms of you know the kind of the the highlights of of the twenty twenty three season and why OSU was able to finish with a ten win season. He's so good. He's so, so good. Uh, Cracked the top 10 all-time tackling list for Oklahoma State, which has not been cracked in a long, long time. And some of the guys on this list, I mean, what was going on in college football in the early 80s? Mike Green, Nicholas Martin got uh, to 140 last night, 140 tackles in 14 games. Um, 1982, Mike Green leads the all-time list with 183 tackles. 1984, Matt Mogner next on the list, 175 tackles. <laughs> Absolutely insane number. A lot, of, a lot of handoffs off tackle back then. Yeah, yeah, and and Matt Mogner with his 175 tackles in 1984, that was the most recent uh, cracking of the top 10 list. Um, uh, now that Nicholas Martin is on it, prior to Nicholas Martin, who's at 140, eclipsed even what Malcolm did a couple of years ago in terms of tackles. He just, um, a special player, and, and a guy in the middle of this defense that you could always count on to be there when you needed him. I still think that his speed for a linebacker, so underrated. Uh, he chased Xavier Worthy down at one point in the Big 12 championship game. Even last night, I don't know, people probably didn't notice this, it was last play of the game, it was late, everybody's ready to go to bed, but Oklahoma State only rushed two on the Hail Mary attempt for Texas A&M, so Oklahoma State brought two pass rushers, and they brought them around the edge, because the idea was make Marcel Reed step up, and it worked. As soon as he stepped up, Nicholas Martin was like 10 yards off the ball, and boom, like he was shot out of a cannon, just <laughs> printing at Marcel Reed. He doesn't get to stand back there and let things develop and see where he wants to go. He's just got to sling it and throws it right to Kendall Daniels. So uh, really the Swiss Army knife of linebackers, and I love what he brought to the Oklahoma State defense this season. He really is like watching a running back play linebacker. 
<laughs> like you mentioned it, but he when he plants his foot in the ground and goes, like it it's pretty special. So it's gonna be fun to watch him next year too. I thought Nick Martin was just tremendous once again and um just really capped a, a tremendous year for him. So now Colby, this makes eight 10 win seasons for Mike Gundy in 19 years. Oklahoma State only had three 10 win seasons before he became the head coach, and two of those Mike Gundy was the quarterback for. Uh, and, I, and I thought this this game and coming out of it really kind of summed up his tenure in that you win 10 games. It's the eighth time. You're, you literally are one of the most consistent coaches who's ever, who's ever coached. And was it pretty? No. People are poking holes that you're playing, you know, kind of an undermanned team. It was probably closer than it should be. But at the end of the day, that's eight 10-win seasons since 2010. The only active coaches with more 10-win seasons in that time frame are Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney. That's the company that Mike Gundy is in. And people can say whatever they want. They can say, well, you should have won more. You could have recruited better. Do you know how many programs in the country would trade for Mike Gundy's track record? Virtually all of them, save for probably the two guys I mentioned. Uh, they've been that consistent. And it's just, again, one of Gundy's finest coaching seasons in my memory was one of the worst through September, but you got to give him credit, Colby. And I think it's kind of come to the realization for folks that what he's built just does not happen. It's a college football Hall of Fame resume. No doubt about it. First ballot. Um, So, again, credit to Mike Gundy because 10 wins are hard to come by at any school. And the fact he's done this much at Oklahoma State we should feel fortunate. I mentioned on the last week's pod that, you know, AM has money, resources. And anytime people try to point out Boone Pickens being the reason, that's just nonsense. Because as I mentioned last week, look at AM. Well, I know you wanted to discuss this, Colby. Uh, I got a tweet after I gave out all those stats I just read and said Mike would be in the Hall of Fame. Michael Spillers, this should read OSU had three 10 win seasons. He says Gundy was the beneficiary of that. Very consequential donation. Almost any decent D1 coach could have done the same. And who knows? Maybe even better. One of the more absurd, asinine takes I've ever seen because he just got finished beating Texas A&M, who just paid $75 million for a coach to go away. Who has two 10-win seasons in the past 25 years? <laughs> the argument that Boone Pickens made Mike Gundy holds zero water when you look at programs like Texas A&M. And go further. Go look at Tennessee. They've got 110,000 people in their stands every single game. They haven't come close to the resume that Mike Gundy has. I can go on down the list, Colby, but I thought the fact he did against A&M even further proved people like this wrong. Yeah, obviously money helps, resources help in college football. No one is denying that even for a second. But the idea that... This success that Mike Gundy's entire career resume can be solely attributed to that donation that was made by Boone Pickens is so asinine. And the irony of someone sending that to you the night that Oklahoma State beats a Texas A&M team and, and you know, people on, on Twitter were like, well, it's, it's a, a skeleton crew Texas A&M team. They had walk-ons out. Like, yeah, that's not a, just some clever excuse. That's an indictment of a program that thought they could buy a national championship. Again, they're trying to microwave this thing. Mike Gundy has had, he, he's been slow cooking it for two decades. Um, 
It's just different. And, and Mike Gundy has been overwhelmingly successful in his time at Oklahoma State. I uh, got very negative on him earlier in the season. I said that I didn't think that he should be the coach at Oklahoma State anymore and that, that he had lost touch with modern college football. I was clearly wrong about all of that. Um, I've apologized for it and will continue to do so. It was probably one of my worst takes ever in hindsight. And just like I said after the Bedlam game, anytime going forward when, when there are struggles in the Oklahoma State football program under Mike Gundy, I, I think that we now have more than enough evidence to say this is temporary. He's going to figure it out. Be patient. So in Mike Gundy, we trust that that's the mantra moving forward. I'm sticking to that. Um, I, I can't imagine that I will ever call for his job again after how spectacularly it blew up in my face this season. It, it's just, I, um, I, I sit here today. So, so gracious that he is the coach of my team. I just, there's nobody else that I would want to be the coach of Oklahoma state university um, this season, next season, any time in the next 10 season. It's, it's just, he's spectacular. His success at Oklahoma state is unbelievable. The company that he keeps as he continues to rack up these records um, and, and all these statistics. Also just the fact, I mean, he's from Midwest city. He, 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 He's from here. He grew up here. He went to Oklahoma State. He quarterbacked two 10-win teams. He was the quarterback on Barry Sanders' teams. Um, he played for Pat Jones. He was the he was an assistant before he was the head coach. He's just an Oklahoma State guy through and through, and we're very lucky to have him. And I hope that he – you know, he's always said he's not going to be the guy that coaches until he's 75. And um, whenever he decides to hang it up, obviously, the statue will be built and all the superlatives will be thrown out. But I hope he continues to do it for a long time because he's, he, he's proven to me this season specifically um, just a major legacy season that will keep me from, from really questioning his legacy ever again at Oklahoma State. Yeah, great tweet here from James Boggs. Uh, Oklahoma State since 2020 has beat the following programs, Texas A&M, Oklahoma twice, Texas twice, Notre Dame, and Miami. And and that and that was coming off really the hot seat after all the Chuba stuff and everything. Like Mike Gundy has just, again, further cemented his legacy at Oklahoma State. With yet but it was the donation from Boone, right? It was the donation from Boone. Yeah, exactly. Because all these programs with all this money, look at Nebraska's got a ton of money. They've done nothing for 15 years. Um, so I could I could give so many examples and and good luck to whoever uh, replaces Mike as head coach. Like like good luck. I don't care how good you recruit, how good a coach you are, it's going to be tough to match the success that Mike Gundy's had. And again, case in point, in the enemy game. It you you wonder how much better could Oklahoma State be if they recruit better? Could they have Beating AM by more points. At the end of the day, as what the great Bill Parcells once said, you are what your record says you are. And Mike Gundy is a college football Hall of Famer. No doubt about it. No uh, doubt. Are you ready for the uniform pre uh, review? I don't know if I've ever been so excited for a uniform review. Uh, Chris's University Spirit uniform review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate Chris's being a part of the show as always. And uh, again, it's basketball season, baseball season's right around the corner. So if you're heading to Stilly, you know where to go. It's Chris's university spirit. And uh, Colby, I, we haven't, we're this far into the show. We didn't mention first that you got the final score prediction. Correct. Boom, baby. 31 to 23. 
Um, every now and then a blind squirrel finds a nut. I was watching the end of the game last night and everyone's heard me complain about kickoff times for the past couple of months as I now have a toddler and I'm laying in bed. I'm tired. I'm watching this fourth quarter and my rooting interest. Cause I, I figured, I mean, Oklahoma state's going to win the game. So my rooting interest at this point, I'm like, how do we get this thing to 31 23? Cause I knew it was a possibility that 51 yard field goal, uh, from the A&M kicker doinks in and then Alex Hale, uh, push push cuts a 47 yarder and misses it wide right. And I'm like, we got it. We got 31, 23. I nailed it. Um, I even had a buddy, my, my Arkansas friend texted me yesterday and asked me what I thought about Oklahoma state. And I texted him 31 to 23. So, uh, I was feeling pretty good last night as the game went final. Yeah. And you nailed the uniforms too. So you were two for two on a very low percentage, you know, predictions. Uh, you need to like buy a lottery ticket or something. They wore the white, black, white with the curse of Cowboys. Yeah, I just I, I I need some some higher recognition. I think like uh, Nostradamus, that's so Raven, and Colby Powell. That's kind of like we're we're three peas in a pod. So that's kind of the company that I like to keep. Well, you were just dogging yourself on your Gundy prediction or your Gundy take. So uh, don't get too high on yourself. But that's yeah, that's pretty that's pretty amazing. You got both of those correct. Uh, yeah, the white, black, white. And, and it's almost one of those things. Somebody's probably going to give me grief if they've been listening all season. Cause I feel like I predicted white, black, white, like four times. And maybe it's just cause I really wanted to see it, but I'm like, man, this has to be the night they're undefeated in black and bowl games. They're the home team. It's one of the, the few like really elite combinations they haven't worn this year. And they came out and it looked so good. So beautiful. And how, how good is the kind of the sheriff's star? badge on the neckline you know nick martin had it as captain all the captains have it on their jerseys just for bowl games i think they started doing that uh 2011 with justin blackman and, and weed and those guys like just a cool subtle little deal they do for bowl games I, I wouldn't mind seeing them do that year round but it's kind of just a special thing they do for bowl games did you notice that at all yeah i did and and it's it's maybe the greatest captain's patch in sports. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I obviously I don't know them all off the top of my head. Um, and I'm probably just being OSU Homer at this point, but that captain's patch is sweet. I, like you said, I wouldn't mind seeing it all year round, but it's also kind of cool having it just be a special thing, um, which I'm okay with too. Well, and, and yet another example, thank goodness. OSU's not an Adidas school because, you know, A&M's uniforms are pretty simple. They just, they just don't look as sharp as, as the Nikes that OSU's trotted out there. So I'm, I am thankful for that. Uh, Toast of the Week, brought to you by Yingling, America's oldest brewery. Be sure to pick up your Yingling at their nearest location. Uh, you got to check out the Golden Pilsner, one of my favorites. Perfect balance of hop and malt character for crisp and smooth thirst-quenching thirst refreshment. Uh, I'm a big fan of golden beers, you know, you know, wheat beers, things of that nature. So the Golden Pilsner is uh, refreshing and smooth from Yingling. Again, we appreciate Yingling being part of the show. Uh, really stepped up our our game this year with them, and we're we're happy to have them aboard. So, where are you going? A lot of directions you can go here, Colby. On the uh, toast of the week, where are you headed? Yeah, there's just there's a bunch of guys who deserve it and who should get it. I, I'm going Rashad Owens. I've given it to him a number of times this season. I I just continue, and you tweeted this out last night. Like he is the case study for how you convince a guy to stick around and and pay your dues and wait for your shot and to be ready and to be ready to capitalize on it. Because um, two years ago, Rashad Owens, obviously he wasn't ready for this moment. He, he wasn't ready to come into this this year. He gets in via injury. And I mean, my God, what he did with that opportunity, he, he went from a guy who was a, a role player, a, 
Uh, I'll do what you need me to do, coach. Just seems like never-ending paying his dues, playing special teams, part-time cowboy back. And now he's a guy that I, I think this guy can play in the NFL. With his size and his hands, his ability to high point the football, I mean, those things are valuable at the next level. And I, I just have so much respect for him sticking it out this is just an era, Carson, where guys are so ready to move on to the next stop. And I get it. Everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to be the star because they want their star to shine so that they can be the next guy to go to the NFL and play this game for a living. And Rashad Owens just accepted that he needed to, to stick it out at Oklahoma State. It was the best place for him. And to, to see him rewarded for all of that with the season that he had this year, it's incredible, and I can't wait to see what he does next year as a full-time starting X receiver, wide receiver one at Oklahoma State. Um, his story is amazing. His production has been amazing. Some of the highlight real catches that he's made have been amazing, and I, I just want to watch him go absolutely nuclear next season. So Rashad Owens gets my toast of the week. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, shout out to Ollie. Shout out to uh, Brennan Presley. But I, I got to go with Mike Gundy. Um, it's his 12th bowl victory, and he's on a list of four coaches to ever do that. Tom Osborne, Lou Holtz, and Urban Meyer. <laughs> that list any good? He was tied for ninth all time with Frank Beamer, Gary Patterson, Steve Spurrier, Dabo Swinney, and Kyle Whittingham. But now he moves uh, ahead of them. Uh, joining again those those names I mentioned just again a uh, the the tr the level of consistency that Mike Gundy has displayed at a school like Oklahoma State is truly remarkable. Um, it's 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 just crazy. He's now tied for sixth all time in bowl wins behind Mac Brown, Bear Bryant, Nick Saban, Bobby Bowden, and Joe Paterno. Like <laughs> these are the names he's associated with. People, these are the names his resume stacks up with. And <laughs> you've put it best many times on this show. Gundy can frustrate you. Uh, he's 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 like a like your wife sometimes. But again, I I don't think he's talked about enough nationally in the same regard as the names he's alongside and names he's even above. Frankly, um, for years and years, people were talking about Matt Campbell being the best coach in the Big Twelve. Well, Matt Campbell's got a long way to go before he gets to Mike Gundy. Okay. And so I, I want to give a huge toast. Give give Mike a keg of uh, of Yingling Golden Pilsner for my toast. Yeah, that's a good one. And and I'm sure that there will be some devil's advocate out there. Well, yeah, but Mike Gundy's in this new era where bowl games don't don't mean as much, and their opponents, you know, last night skeleton crew and and all this stuff. Again, that's that's an indictment of these other programs and a testament to what Mike Gundy has built at Oklahoma State that his players aren't opting out of bowl games. You want to know why? They love the program. They love the guys they're playing with. They love the guys they're playing for. They want to be out there. They want to be a part of Oklahoma State's success. They want to get that 10-win season. Like, the fact that Texas A&M had a mass exodus and Oklahoma State didn't, that's not some sort of, like, asterisk that you put on this game as a knock against Oklahoma State's victory. That's a knock against Texas A&M's program and a testament to Oklahoma State's program. Um, Gundy's built something really special, and that's a good one. By the way, last second, totally unrelated honorary toast of the week. I want to give one to Cade Cunningham, who is playing basketball in basketball hell up in Detroit. Um, 
he is so good and he is so off the radar for everybody. He had another unreal game the other night, uh, Tuesday night against Brooklyn, 41 points, uh, nine rebounds, five assists, a steal, a block. He shot 71% from the floor on that game, three of four from beyond the arc. Um, second 40-point game in his last four. I, I know that Cade Cunningham is so out of sight, out of mind, because the Pistons haven't won a game. Um, they, 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 seriously, they won their last game before Halloween. The World Series was going on the last time the Pistons wow. won a game. He is truly in basketball hell. I hope that he gets traded um, and goes somewhere where, where he can actually get some some of these accolades and some eyeballs on him because he's unbelievable. Um, and I just saw some of his stats come across my feed, so I wanted to throw that out. A nice um, a, a nice little shout-out to your cousin there, Mr. Cade Cunningham. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was very worried about this when he got drafted. Um, I just – Detroit was a once-proud – proud franchise back in the 80s but they've been just in the you know, early 2000s but they've been just horrible um so i i was worried about what's happening currently happening it's got even worse i mean they just set a record for most consecutive losses in the nba history so that that's as bad as it gets so yeah ho- hopefully he uh he gets out of there also shout out to the big 12 i believe they're four and one in bowl season you kicking tail and taking names uh the one loss again colby ucf they lose to georgia tech they finished six and seven on the year, only scored 17 points. Again, I, I still think that game in Orlando that OSU played was like the fluke of all flukes. That's why I got over it very quickly. That just that game was just so absurd and so bizarre and so many different levels. I just I kind of chuckled when I saw that UCF lost to Georgia Tech. It just that's one game that we'll never quite understand what what really took place down there. Yeah, I just I really think that that was a uh just a, an emotional just flat spot like that's the biggest bedlam game ever you win it you've got all the legends in the locker room celebrating and then you've got to go down to orlando and play a, a scrappy ucf team um you know wearing their space helmets and all this stuff and and then the monsoon comes through it was just a goofy day and we'll just chalk that one up to to goofy nonsense 10 and 4 not 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 too many 10 and 4 records i would imagine in college football history yeah. because teams that lose four games don't often get the opportunity to play 14 games in a 12 game regular season. So a pretty unique record from Oklahoma state to go 10 and four. Yeah. That that's a, what is that? Scorigami they say about, you know, unique final yeah. scores. That's a scorigami win loss total. I really would be curious. I, I don't even know how to look this up. How many other teams in college football history have gone 10 and four? Cause it's a weird record to have. Yeah. I, I doubt any would be my guess, but um all right, Colby. Appreciate you having. Uh, appreciate you coming on, and uh, happy holidays, my friend. I know you had a great Christmas, and uh, have a happy New Year. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, you do the same. Everybody, be safe this weekend on New Year's Eve. Uh, if you're out late, call an Uber, call an, call a Lyft. Make sure you get home safely. Um, appreciate everyone listening. As always, go Pokes.